I love you, but you are not serious people. Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm a comedian. And welcome to Genre Reveal Party. This is our podcast where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, when it holds up, when it breaks down, and what we can learn by exploding it. Welcome to season one, episode one of the show. Woo! Yeah! Woo! This season is Family Matters, which Madeline will explain a little bit more. How it's going to work is each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss. Just FYI, there will be spoilers, and it's also our goal that you don't necessarily need to have watched the thing we're talking about to enjoy the show. So this week, Madeline chose to kick us off with Succession. So... This is our... This is the music sting that we can afford. Love it. Love it. Okay, so in this first season of the podcast, we're taking the theme of family matters, focusing on movies and TV about families and the family form under capitalism. There were a few reasons we thought this would be a good way to start, and just one of them has to do with the way that genre itself is wrapped up in the idea of the family and subject to the logic of the capitalist family. In literary theory, starting with Aristotle's Poetics and uh 335 BC, genre functions as a way of um, classifying or a classification system heavily coded in biological and familial terms. A genre is a gene pool of works that share the same terms or laws of representation and also interpretation. On this show, we want to trouble this traditional sense of what genre means and what it dictates. We're trying to question genre and think about the politics of cultural narratives in the process. Based on all of this, we thought that um, there was probably no better way to start than with HBO's Succession, which is currently in its fourth and final season. The series follows the Roy family, which is something like the Murdoch family. The Roy's own Waystar Royco, which is a global media conglomerate. And from the first episode onward, the show follows the uncertainty of who will take over the for the aging patriarch Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox. Logan is worth roughly $18 billion, and rather than name among his four children a successor to take control of the company, he subjects his children to a constant battle. The oldest, Connor, played by Alan Ruck, who is um, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, is out of the running from the start. He's the forgotten child and the half-sibling to Kendall, played by Jeremy Strong, Shiv, played by Sarah Snook, and Roman, played by Karen Culkin, who each take turns as a presumed heir of the family business through the course of the pre previous three seasons. This begins with Kendall, then goes on to Shiv, and finally to Roman. And with each, Logan plays the siblings off each other, tests their loyalty through coercion and acts of betrayal against the others. Orbiting around these characters are a set of characters who are not quite family. We have Shiv's husband, Tom, played by Matthew McFadden, or McFadden, it's McFadden. I think McFadden, yeah, yeah. Greg, played by Nicholas Braun, a distant cousin, as well as Logan's current wife and ex-wives. We also have Willa, the sex worker turned girlfriend turned wife of Connor. 
There's also a cluster of not-quite-uncles, Carl and Frank, and a not-quite-aunt, Jerry, who Roman becomes sexually obsessed with, not unsubtly with incestuous vibes. So a lot of the show is a high-stakes game between these players and others, and in many ways it's about the ways that a distinction between family and business is entirely unthinkable. But this is also taking place at the level of genre. Succession is genuinely hilarious. It's also dark and depressing, set in an alternate present and capitalist dystopia. Some say it's a black comedy, but every year it's contended in awards season as best drama series. So I want to talk about this correlation between this genre instability and the politics of the show. Um, And now for those of you who haven't seen it yet or kept up with the latest season, this is your spoiler alert. Uh, Otherwise, maybe you don't care like me. Uh, but Dave seems to care about spoilers a lot. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> this is not fair. I enj- I actually like most spoilers. My issue, okay. and this is very germane to when we're talking, is that we are, we are, so spoilers from here on out, we are talking where the most recent episode is the one where Logan fucking dies. Mm-hmm. This is the most central thing of the show and people could not wait i watched the episode because of i was catching up on the rewatch 36 hours after it aired and it had already been spoiled for me multiple times in my timeline and i just think if we've like it feels anti-communal it feels like we've invested in this for four fucking seasons Mm. and you can't be kind enough. You know how algorithms work. You know if it's not confined to your Twitter circle or whatever that it's going to get popped out somewhere and you can't drop the words spoiler alert. It's fucking like it it we I I hate that I have enough time to care about this one, but this is the mm-hmm. most I have ever cared about a spoiler because it genuinely robbed me of some of the emotional experience of the episode. Interesting. Well, maybe that's a good place to start was to think about this last episode. Fantastic. So now it is time to go to the chat. So we're starting at season four, episode three. And this was called Connor's Wedding, which is itself a kind of misdirect because even if Connor does actually get married, it's actually an episode uh, about the death of Logan Roy, which the whole series has really been teasing us around, right? Um, Starting with the first episode where he's hospitalized from a stroke, right? We're wondering when's he going to die? And I guess at this point I was assuming, oh yeah, it'll probably just be in the last episode (laughs) of the show, right? right? Right. so it's kind of interesting, um, but it's also in the tradition of the show of having these like weddings. And this definitely ties into the question of um, the family <laughs> and how this show is is commenting on the family form in some way. But weddings are also always kind of cursed events. Um, and this wedding actually kind of turns into a funeral, right? So mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know. What did you think about the episode and the emotional experience of it? 
Um, I, this is, this is why I'm annoyed because even though it was very well acted, well directed, mm-hmm. emotional, I, I didn't really care about Logan's death that much. I hope that on a rewatch, it would fuck me up a little bit more. Yeah. But like, it, I felt very cold to it. How did you feel about it? Well, I felt very cold to Logan's death, right? But at the same time, I felt really emotionally manipulated by this episode. Um, okay. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, like, the first time I watched it, I watched it twice preparing for this. But the first time I watched it, I did know that Logan was going to die. Um but especially Sarah Snook's performance fucking got my my eyes watering, you know? I really felt um drawn in in a way that I didn't like. And I thinking back on it afterwards, I was like, that's actually my problem with this whole show, right? Okay. Is, is how um charismatic these evil assholes are right and Mm -hmm. it's not just about charisma but it is it is profoundly about your emotional identification with them and uh that seems to be the really big ask of the show and um yeah i think that's troubling politically right um because you find it mm -hmm. does it mean that you you don't allow yourself to feel genuine emotion if the care if you don't kind of support what the characters are about politically mm. i mean i don't think it's quite like that but i think that there's a way in which it numbs your criticality if that makes sense. Sure. And it's important for you to watch everything critically, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. it is important for me to do that. But I think especially if we're talking about like the politics of, of the show, um, it, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really um, kind of difficult choreography it's performing, right? Between these moments of profound identification of the, the kind of revealing the humanity of these characters um, who are otherwise monsters. Right. Yeah. Um, and still maintaining some space for us to see their monstrosity. And um I think it failed in this last episode. I think it got really like distracted by um, the technicality of like uh, this 27 minute scene, which, um, Dude, you know, I, could take I guess it's a fucking... feat. I guess it's a feat. Yeah. But it's so much about um, the performance of these, of especially Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin and Sarah Snook. Right who um, learn of their father's death on the phone and are in this kind of um, detached way processing like what's happened, 
Um, and I think it, it's a, it's an extremely relatable experience, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to, to deny that in any way, but I just wonder what the point of, what the point of it all is, you know, um, like Logan is a sociopath. They're even discussing that mm-hmm. at the end of the episode before. Right. And I don't think it's necessarily making us feel like, oh, we wish he was still around, you know, <laughs> like we wish he didn't right. die. Right. I, yeah. I, I think it's good at kind of achieving that note, but um, where that leaves us with his children and, you know, what they're, what they're, what they're going to do with his legacy. I think, I don't know. I found it very troubling. I found it, um, it seems symptomatic of like the show's confusion about itself. Interesting. Okay. You think they played it a little too sincere in this episode? Yeah, it was totally sincere, right? And there were like any yeah. like any episodes there were comedy moments, right? But this is yeah. the thing about yeah. the the show is that it kind of it's a chameleon. It slips in and out of genres. And this very much seemed like sincere um award baby, you know? Um mm-hmm. and um yeah, I think that more than any of the HBO shows, this one is like really obsessed with this behind the scenes narrative of like these um, incredible performances and these different competing almost like methods of acting um, that each of them personify. Um, Right. So the time to talk about the New Yorker profile. Well, maybe so sometime let's see. Michael Shulman, um, who recently wrote this like book on the Oscars um, in December 2021, wrote this by now, I think we could call it like a notorious um, profile of Jeremy Strong, who plays the second oldest Roy child, Jeremy Strong, or excuse me, Jeremy Strong. (laughs) That actually was... That was actually kind of my point too, is like that, that he, the, whatever, his blending into Kendall Roy. Um, oh, that they're become, that he's becoming the character in the world. Sure, anyways, I get yeah. that. Okay, but that's just a, that's just an excuse for um, getting my tongue twisted. So it's kind of making fun of, um, I mean, it isn't just kind of, it is full on making fun of Jeremy Strong. The title is On Succession. Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. And it's a pretty interesting um, example of the New Yorker profile. And I would just begin, this is also a genre note about the New Yorker profile, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. they aren't always um, positive. They're by no means fluff pieces. There's tons of examples of incredibly critical New Yorker profiles, right? So this is one of those that's tending more towards um, critique and maybe even caricature of its subject. But um, Jeremy Strong's kind of subsequent campaign against this uh, profile um, was kind of hilarious because part of it was that he was, he was, you know, somehow victimized 
by the profiler that the profiler Michael Shulman was, you know, unethical in his approach. Um, and no, this is what you consent to when you say like, yeah, I'll, this is the risk you take when you say that you'll, you'll be interviewed for a New Yorker profile, right? It could come out kind of not the way you want it to. (laughs) Yeah. It portrays him. It's he's they're They're kind of putting, situating him in the lineage of method actors and American method acting and this kind of macho, shit mm-hmm. which i thought it was really interesting that brian cox in that profile mm-hmm. mentioned that he thought that this whole style of acting was a very american yeah way of being and i i actually really appreciated that and thought that was cool um because in terms of gravitas in the show as great as kendall is and as great as jeremy strong is He's he never transcends the gravitas of Brian Cox. Like Brian Cox so. comes fucking correct. He just wasn't also like you know doing the the methody stuff that's described. But as far as that goes, mm-hmm. how did you think? I, I looked back. We we texted about this a little bit, but I don't think the profile makes him look that bad. I think no. There are certain things that I think I don't think I would enjoy hanging out with Jeremy Strong, <laughs> but but I would say eighty percent of his process seems fine. The the thing at Trial of the Chicago Seven or or the, whatever the movie was with um with Robert Downey Jr. where he showed uh-huh. up at a funeral that he wasn't called to on a day he wasn't called and was just weeping in the background. That's fucking annoying. You're distracting people. You're getting in the way of other people's jobs. But if he's like by himself on set, if he's isolating himself from his castmates, that's not the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? If he takes it too seriously, if he doesn't realize it's a comedy, that's not the worst thing in the world. No, I agree. And the thing, that is one thing I will, I will defend Jeremy Strong over, um, you know, method acting, which he says he isn't a method actor, which I'll say he says that his method is, quote, identity diffusion, um, (laughs) which we can talk more about. Right. But the history of method acting, there's a long list of abusers like method acting Mm -hmm. is basically synonymous with um, workplace abuse in in hollywood right um and like the really classic example which i always like to bring up is uh marlon brando the infamous um in last tango butter scene right yeah where he anally penetrates his lover maria schneider or played by maria schneider with a stick of butter and she didn't actually know that that was going to happen and he uh, suggested this to Bernardo Bertolucci before the filming of the scene. And they agreed that they weren't going to tell her because she was supposed to quote, react like a little girl um, and didn't have um, the, you know, was, wasn't respected to be to, to enough to respond to it as an actress. Right. Um, but this is yeah, ca- right. kind of like authoritarianism that I associate with uh, method acting. And one of the things that I was struck by, I mean, 
if there is an authoritarian figure, it is Brian Cox, right? It, Jeremy Strong right. is not um, playing out that kind of. Um, he's annoying, but yeah, he's not abusive as far as we know, right? Um, right, right. But I was so he did this New Yorker profile and then clearly he was very wounded and Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain, you know, publicly like, you know, came to defend him and Jessica Chastain like tweeted something on Aaron Sorkin's behalf. Right. And all of these, all of these things. Um, And um, then like a year later, um, so I actually re-listened to this this morning, the end of this Mark Maron interview. Did you hear it when he was on Mark Maron? I do. I It's been a while since I've heard it, but yeah, I did. Okay. Hear that. I, <laughs> so, so he goes on and Mark Maron is clearly trying to like help him um, like rehabilitate himself in some way. Right. <laughs> or like to be, to be more, more, to be more like generous to Mark Maron, I would call it like contextualizing yeah the letting this guy be an actual human and not this right. parody right which the profile it was it was a mean profile that yeah that that slipped into that for sure i'm not i'm not trying to pretend otherwise but anyway so strong like one of the things that marin is trying to do in that interview is um let Jeremy Strong have a chance to show that he's not such a serious guy, right? That that he has right, a sense of right, humor right. about himself and about the situation and all of this. And he continually like um sees the invitation and doesn't take it. <laughs> and like, like I'm good. And 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 then makes himself even more serious and digs himself in a hole. And then I actually wrote this out. So the end of that episode, Marin's like, I don't usually do this, but I'm going to end with this voice memo that Strong sent to me as a text 10 days after the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, Strong begins it by saying like that he's been thinking over the interview, you know, ever since the interview happened and that he wanted to take an opportunity to address quote that article. And he says, I guess the thing I keep thinking is, who cares? Who cares what some actor says or does? It's entirely unimportant. And it's just noise and silliness, right? And he goes on to list all of these things that we should be taking seriously, but then loops back around to this again, this idea that, um, you know, nobody should be paying this much attention to an actor and the actor's process. But isn't that his whole deal? <laughs> like that's all he is, is this, um, you know, it was in, in some ways it was like just completely confirming of the profile and, and it's critique, you know? Interesting. So you think, okay. So you think him taking the acting work seriously mm-hmm. is also a way of saying, I, as an actor, deserve to be taken seriously in the public eye. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he says, the thing I keep thinking about obsessively for the last 10 days is who cares? Well, you fucking care, man. Like, that's the point, is how much you care sure, about Sure, sure. Yes, yes, yes. True, 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 <laughs> right? true, true, true. And true. Um, it's not like a Marlon Brando narcissism, but 
it does seem to say something about not just his persona, but the show itself and what it's trying to do. So there's this whole meta level of the show, which is all about the, the, um, the battle between the actors who, who's the best actor. Like they're actually competing against awards (laughs) against each other in awards. And, um, Jeremy Strong and Brian Cox have competed against each other for best actor several times. There's lots of chatter that um, Kieran Culkin is actually going to put himself in best actor uh, for this upcoming award season. Um, I don't know. There's, there's this interesting obsession with how, how this show is acted and performed Um which seems to be an extension of how character driven the show is, mm-hmm, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to say genre driven, right? Like, and I would say that part of what happens yeah. because of this obsession that we have over these characters and these personae is that we lose track of the genre. And in doing that, which is, it's fine to me to have like an unstable or um, uncertain genre. But what happens in that process is that we also lose track of like what's being said politically or like what um, the critique of the show actually is. Right. Um, Sure. But do you think, but that would, that would be, I, I feel like baked into what you're saying here is that the show is fully critiquing itself, which I don't think is true. I don't, it is fully critiquing itself. That's that seem you seem to want the show to have a remove from itself Mm. that we have as viewers or a remove from the characters, maybe. I just think going back to like the family and what it's saying about what the family even means under capitalism and the like non-distinction between the family and the corporation is it has this perfectly generative premise and it has no fucking idea what to do with it. (laughs) And so it just seems to be flailing about, especially in this last season um, about um what any of that means, you know, it's stirred up all of these questions and, um, and I don't have a sense of what, what, what it thinks it's doing about it. And instead it's drawing you into these incredibly soap opera-y interpersonal Mm -hmm. dynamics and inviting viewers in many ways. I just, yesterday I was looking on the internet and there's all these like, which, which Roy family member are you yeah. quizzes? And it's just like, yeah. none of them. We're none of them. And that's the point. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is this yeah. like, none of us should be relating to these figures. <laughs> right. And these are, are fascists, you know, like in season three, they're actually colluding with fascists and talking about them as fascists and Nazis, you know, like, because it's right, a business right. opportunity. Right. And, um, but just a few episodes later, what the fuck? I'm crying because of Shiv, you know, having this incredibly emotional moment. I can't help but feel 
that my heartstrings are being plucked by Sarah Snook. It's an incredibly emotive scene. It's very, it's, it's very well acted. I'm not, I'm not trying to not deny any of that, but it's just like, why, why is this what we're doing with this narrative? Right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, it totally makes sense. I think this is a thing I think about all the time is to what extent do our viewing habits need to align with our values? Mm. So it's like, b- because, and and this is where I'm coming from, is growing up like evangelical, mm-hmm. where there were like focus on the family magazines that would like review albums and movies that were, you know, giving it ratings out of like how Christ-like it was, you know, like how how much it aligned with what we believe in capitalism. Right, you right. Know? And that really bothers me about leftist politics now mm. is when people act like, for example, mm-hmm. Survivor is one of my favorite shows. Yeah. All, all you need to know is that one of the most legendary characters is a cop. Mm-hmm. Okay. And early on in meeting people on the left and we would talk about survivor people would occasionally be like oh but fuck tony right just because he was a cop sure let me make it clear i hate cops yeah of course also on the show tony is this childlike mischievous hilarious weird funny character and i'm more interested in the friction between my views and my enjoyment of this person in this piece of entertainment mm-hmm. than in making sure I only like the non-cops on Survivor. You know what I mean? And so I think that like with this, with Succession, it, it the, the question is like, I the thing that I think I relate to, and tell me if I'm reading you wrong, mm-hmm. but the thing I relate to is wanting it to be kind of clean. And wanting what it does, so to speak, like, what's the point? Wanting there to be a point and wanting there to be a really, like, strong, forceful backing up of that point. Mm. What the show does by being so character-focused is is not, not make bones about these people being charismatic. Not make bones about these people genuinely tugging on our heartstrings. It's like, I, I would say probably the creators of the show are like, Absolutely, these people are horrible people. Mm-hmm. But is isn't it interesting that you can even relate to monsters? You know. Well, okay. I I feel like I need to say something first, which is that I love messy shows. I love shows that don't mm-hmm. understand themselves. I love confusion, and um, it doesn't take from my enjoyment of the show. It's just how I am analyzing its politics right yes um yes, totally so uh i want that to be really clear like i would say almost everything that i consume in television at least the stuff i don't stand by politically right but it's actually the yeah, pleasure right. of of critically engaging with it what i find frustrating about about succession is that i don't think it knows what it's doing right like it's and I want to historicize this too, right? It's coming out of the Trump moment. Like uh, Trump was, I think, elected that they the day that they did the first table read. Okay, right, 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 right. Um, 
And then it came out in 2018. It seems to have, um, we have like Adam McKay directing the pilot, even though the pilot is all over the place. And like, for instance, I pointed this out to you the other day, right? Like that Roman has even has like a wife and children in the first episode, but they like wrote that character off or like started muddying like, oh, she's actually a girlfriend and they're her kids. Wait, <laughs> like, Roman has a wife and children? Yeah, in the first episode. He actually has like a wedding Logan. ring. No, it's Roman. Oh my God. Yeah. I misread so they actually, that like, you sent me. They actually walked back from quite a bit in the first episode, right? But the first episode does have a very clear political problem that it's pointing to in the family, right? Um, and it seems to be on, on pretty solid ground, if not actually like annoying Adam McKay ground. And I hate almost all of his movies because, (laughs) and it's, it's because of how clean they are to go back to your word. Like Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. didactic as hell. Like they're telling you what to, what to think. Um, so that you don't have to think. And in fact, there's like so many montages that turn into like PowerPoint presentations or like have right. that vibe. Right. There's like statistics right. and it's just way too edited. I don't like it at all. So that's like the note that they start out on though, this whole show. And I'm kind of interested in how that mutates and what that says about the historical moment, like the fourth season is in, which is very much this like, depoliticized Biden moment where it seems pretty, yeah, it's lost track of something along the way. And what we have instead is the story, this kind of, you know, whatever Shakespearean prestige. Yeah. It's a family, family legacy. Yeah. Inheritance succession story, right? Um, This war between siblings over a dead father, like okay but uh yeah something something really um falls apart in this process right and i think in some ways the third season is most interesting because it's so fraught like we have these outright fascist figures and um, conflicts among the siblings about how to align politically. Um, We have just these really just messy, um, complicated moments, right? Which I don't think they're telling you what to think. I don't think it, I don't think that that's the promise, but it, it seems to have a sense of purpose, right? And I want to like mm. draw out a distinction there. Like, I don't need Jesse Armstrong to tell me what to think about these monstrous people or capitalism, et cetera. Right. Right. But I think the power of a show like this can be, yeah, that sense of purpose of just drawing out these contradictions and letting us kind of inhabit the, the problem of, um, these characters like charisma right and i think that's not yeah. what's good i mean it could it could turn into something different we're only talking about we we have like seven more episodes in the fourth season right 
And so that'll be an interesting At the time we're talking about this. Yeah. Probably, I think, fewer by the time this comes out. Sure, sure. But yeah, that'll be interesting to watch is how much of it is going to try to get us to empathize with one character or another or like render one of these figures heroic in some ways or bring out our sense of forgiveness. I don't know. But this last episode where Logan dies is definitely like trying to get us to be as empathetically, um, you know, engaging with, with all three of, or all four of them. In fact, Connor is like the one you feel really sorry for because it's his wedding day and they don't even like think to bring him into the room when their dad dies on the phone, you know? He's just this yeah. complete afterthought. But isn't he Trump? Well, you know? Do you, wait, oh, wait. You think Connor's Trump? Well, he's trying to buy his way into the presidency and these type of, like, having no career mm. in politics or anything like that. There was at least, yeah. like, some semblance of that in the third season. But where'd that go? Now we just feel bad for True. him. I don't like that. I, it's 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 hard for me to see Connor as Trump. I when I I had moments of thinking about Trump in on my rewatch and it was always in the context of Logan. Mm. Although although Logan is certainly like yeah, I I mean it's there's there's clearly problems with that comparison. But one thing that I was curious as you were talking is mm-hmm. about forgiveness. Are any of these characters forgivable? I mean, I don't think they are, but I think that that's what the, as opposed to asking the question of its viewer, which I think is interesting, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like shoving forgiveness down our throats now. That's what I feel like. Hmm. Hmm. I definitely see that, and and it's so. I mean, forgiveness is fucking is a tough one, man. Because especially yeah, what when do it comes you think? To like, you think about politically and you think about having enemies. I mean, and it's so weird. Does just saying like to me, the, the best episode of the show Mm -hmm. and is the last episode of season three. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the most savage thing that anyone does in the show for, for my money is Shiv with Tom, mm-hmm. they have that fucking fake sexy talk, and and her dirty talk is uh, that she says to his face, under the guise of a sexual power dynamic, bedroom language, that I'm too good for you, but that's what you love about me, even though I don't love you. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, he's like, "Hey, uh, that's that's a little intense." And she and she gets upset that he's like, "Well, she says like, what happens in Sex Vegas stays in Sex Vegas. Right. Like, you yeah. can't take that out of context." And it's like, that is, I'm like, I don't know if Shiv, if if I can ever picture Shiv as a forgivable person mm. just from what she said. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Roman has like 
been responsible for people losing limbs on exploded rockets in Korea. But for whatever reason, this thing from Shiv feels way more intense. I mean, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, instinctually, I do not feel the ability to forgive any of them. Uh-huh. Intellectually, I want to be like, well, if 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 they were truly, it, it would involve such a radical change of their situation. They would have to like denounce their family and be in an entirely different, spend their whole life making amends for all the harm this billionaire class has done. Yeah, I mean, I think that is what is interesting about Kendall and Shiv right is that both of them have these different moments of thinking that they can use their power for good right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and much more so kendall um whereas roman doesn't doesn't ever think that i don't think right He's like the no, nihilist no. in the family, right? Which is what's likable about him in some ways because he's more honest. Yeah, th- that's the weird thing that you experience as the viewer. You like that, yeah, he isn't duplicitous in the same way, right? It is right. It just is how it is with him. Um, yeah, I wanted to pull up this quote from, yeah, there's this Guardian piece that we looked at. Um, the kind of interviews the 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 writing room of the show and one of the writers georgia pritchett says there was definitely a part of me that thought why do i want to write about these awful rich evil white men who are poisoning society but having to really dig deep into the characters to find their humanity was an exciting challenge i've always had a soft spot for roman which is concerning there's something about that evil little pixie that I really do love. And um, this is interesting for me listening to the writers. I mean, Brian Cox has also um, as much as he makes fun of the method actor, the way that he speaks of Logan is um through this really kind of pure identification with the character, right? Like he really, uh, I don't know if you've heard any interviews with him about Logan Roy. No, I haven't heard that many. No, but I mean, I was just listening to him on um, fresh air in preparation for Mm. this. And um, (laughs) Terry gross, who I don't think is a very like confrontational interviewer, especially not with someone like Brian Cox is like, <laughs> right. she, there's this point where she just asks him, you know, um, does he have any problem with Logan or something like this? Right. Because right. he's, he's speaking of Logan as if Logan is totally justified in having problems with his children. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves them, but he thinks they're not serious people. Right. As he says in the, episode before last or something like that right um they say it multiple times there's there's they do yeah serious people comes up in previous seasons as well and kendall kendall says it too which it's that's an interesting thing so 
anyways, I think the extent to which these actors are bringing out the humanity, right, and deeply identifying and humanizing these these characters is um, really a part of the kind of cultural fascination here, which I see the writers are also struggling with, you know, that was all I was trying to kind of. No, totally. And I think, I think, I mean, now we're kind of talking about the process of acting, right? Like what, what service it does to whatever the, you know, capital P point of the show might be. And Mm -hmm. to me, the thing that's like, troubling about Georgia Pritchett Pritchett saying like, Oh, why do I want to write about these evil people? Well, it's a fun challenge to humanize them. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that is a fucked up political project. You know what I mean? And and yet in the, the way that you and I were educated, um, the way that the craft of acting has developed, like, I don't. I don't really blame the actors. No, no. I because the 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 only the you know we're not doing uh, super two dimensional characters. Like the point is for every character to be as realistic as possible. So to do that, the actors have to uh fully immerse and like if if brian cox isn't able to like hold logan roy with a critical eye Mm -hmm. that might make it you know if he were able to do that it might make it harder for us to do that with his kid it would make his character shittier yeah you don't want somebody who's intentionally playing evil right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, right, because it's so obvious. It's so but obvious. Who I do blame is the writers. It you blame is them. the creators. Is like, well, yeah, you're the ones creating the shit. You're the ones determining the direction that this show goes. And yeah. you one thing I wanted to bring up, mm-hmm. you still haven't seen the menu, right? No, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Okay. I won't I won't spend too much time on it because the, the the amount of I, I fucking hated the menu, which okay. was written in part by Will Tracy, who's a succession writer. Okay. It was directed by Mark Mylod, who is a succession director. And Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but yeah, the kind yeah. Of, I mean, this is the question of these eat the rich. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think the menu yeah. Yeah. is you could make an argument that the menu is way more politically righteous than sure. succession. Because it literalizes found this, right? It so. it's so literal. Mm-hmm. It's not cannibals in the menu, but it's it, it it's it's yeah, it, it's direct class war. Mm-hmm. But everything everything about the art of it is so thin, is so it is it, it all the characters are like puppets. They are the writers and the director hammering you over the head with, mm. oh, isn't the aren't these people contemptible? And it's like, yeah, you spent you spent millions of dollars making this thing to t- like you could have just told me capitalism is bad and sure. that be a tweet and you know you'd be done. <laughs> no, I I hear you. No, okay. So a scene that I'm fascinated by is the 
the presidential hopeful who yeah. whose name I'm forgetting, but who who is actually a fascist, right? And Logan yeah. has decided to back him at that um, whatever conference in Virginia or something, right? And um, yeah, the like freedom f- freedom first summit or something like that. Exactly, yeah, and. Uh, Roman really likes the guy. He wants to. He wants to to back him as a presidential candidate, and Shiv doesn't. She's the one who's using the f word about him, saying, you know, that she doesn't want to be in a picture with him. And then you see her father break her apart and get her to go into the photo, but not mm-hmm. stand next to him. Right. And then you kind of like watch her face and the discomfort. Moments like that are amazing on this show. Like I, I really appreciate all of the kind of different different things going on in that scene that are so I mean pretty subtle. Okay. There's nothing subtle about Logan Roy. Cozy up to fascists. Yeah, you just kind of see her slowly um, compromise her sense of what's politically important to her. But by that point in the series, higher priorities. Well, right, and by that point in the series, I didn't even see it as that big of a compromise. I was not surprised at all that she she made it. That's what she figures out. She's like, you know what? I I think, and you you read that on Sarah Snook's face is like. Mm-hmm. I'm already in bed with this fucker, so I'll be in this photo. I'm going to be, but Jared he Mankin, starts by, by saying, I won't be in the photo. And then she goes, and then he says like, you need to do this or whatever. And she says, okay, well, but I'm not going to stand next to him. Like it's within 20 seconds that <laughs> she's. Yeah. Right. 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 This decision. Right. And then you're, but then you're just watching and you're looking at how each person is posing in the photograph and their levels of, comfort and discomfort and um, sense of complicity. And and you're just kind of watching all of that play out. That's what I think the show is really good at is hitting notes like that, you know? Um, yeah. But they aren't didactic and there's no one in the scene that you're supposed to like really um, want to relate to. And that's the other thing is right. like, it's great at cringe, right? Um, like I, with Shiv, okay, I came up in grad school and had an advisor who is, let's just say, reminiscent of Logan Roy in a lot of ways, okay? okay, okay. And I was the only woman who worked with him, and he would definitely play his students off against each other, especially when they're teeing with each other. And there were some dinners at his house that weren't bore on the floor the episode from season two yeah but you know if i had set us back maybe 30 years maybe it would have turned into the into that and of course i wouldn't have been in the room because i was a woman right but um you could see you could you could kind of sense that potentiality um but like i i i find that very interesting is watching shift because it brings brings to mind for me my experiences in that context and others where I want a fucking seat at the table in this boys club so so bad Mm -hmm. that I lose track of myself otherwise. Right. Yeah. And, um, 
And yeah, it's that friction that you're talking about before, like that sense of discomfort that I have with myself and my own relating to this, this character on the show. That's interesting. Right. And that's happening intertextually, right? It's not happening like at this didactic level where it's telling you what to think, but it's just, it's just how I'm interacting with it. Like, similarly, I'm a, the oldest of, um, I'm the oldest sibling. I'm Connor in my family. Okay. My mom had me just by being the oldest sibling. Well, there are just moments where I really profoundly relate to Connor. Okay. 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 Where I'm the oldest sibling. And then my mom like divorced my dad. And Mm. then she had three kids with her next husband, all really close together. But 10 years after I was born, 10 to 14 years after I was born. Right. Right. And um, this kind of first pancake forgotten child kind of thing that Connor brings up um, is relatable, right? In these ways. But there's some moments where I think the show is very good at um, playing with that relatability without it needing to be about forgiveness or humanizing or sympathy Mm -hmm. or any of these things, right? That it's actually about, in, in fact, it's doing the, the opposite in some ways, like that moment with Shiv where it's refracting and then kind of facilitating your own self-criticality, you know, that's really interesting in what Mm -hmm. it's doing with the family form. However, at the same time, this is a family that while it brings up all of these issues of, you know, that the family is essentially a system of private property under capitalism and these type of things, right? Like there are things about this family that are incredibly unrelatable to you and I or anyone we know. Right. (laughs) Totally. And like, how do you hold those two things together? And I think sometimes the show is really good at that. And sometimes it really fucking fumbles and the ways it fumbles are really symptomatic, you know? Well, and the way that I, that I framed this for myself was that like occasionally, the show is sadder, you know, there are the characters, mm-hmm. there are there, there's the story on the surface and, and the way, so, so the story on the surface to the characters is not a comedy. Yeah. Kendall doesn't forget, uh, God, why am I, Jeremy? Forget Jeremy Strong. Kendall does not experience this story as a comedy. Even Roman, the big fucking Joker, doesn't experience this story as a comedy. Mm-hmm. They like to them the genre of this story is family drama. Right. It is a uh, corporate thriller. Y- you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, th- but the way in which it is a comedy, which I would consider its main actual genre to be comedy Mm. Mm -hmm. is is the fact that it is a satirization of these people it shows their excesses in ways that are unrelatable it makes it 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 just depicts things that are impossible not to find funny right you know subjective sense of humor aside um and but then so so, but then at times, 
it loses the satire and and I think the show itself takes itself very seriously. Yes. yes. The show itself is like it was on this rewatch for to talk for this episode that I was like oh, this is the closest I've gotten to being like I wish these 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 whippersnappers wouldn't say the f word so much, you know? Like they're obs- like my parents growing up were like cursing is a sign of unintelligence, you know? <laughs> and like I don't agree with that, but the amount these guys say fuck and every character talks the same. Mm-hmm. So the actors do an incredible job of humanizing the characters, but every character except for Greg talks the same. Even like Carrie, yeah. who is who is Logan's like later seasons assistant talks the same assistant girlfriend well yeah assistant girlfriend how does she introduce herself assistant close assistant yeah friend advisor assistant yes yes yeah yes and but but it is so the show itself and that's where something like the menu Mm. can branch out of this is because a comedy writer or a television writer period or any writer period can lose themselves and be so high on their own supply that they're like, I'm fucking nailing this right now, man. Like, you know, all I have to do is say, (laughs) use the fuck fork to eat the fuck salad or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's like adjective comedy in some ways. And so that is when even the show, even though the show is a satire, the experience of watching the show is like, you know, watching, Harvard lampoon guys fucking jerk off into each other's mouths. You're like, okay, dude, you know, yeah, you guys are really gross mental image, really clever. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? No, it totally, it, it, yeah, yes, a lot of that resonates. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you about when you're bringing this up, one of the things we haven't talked about is how much incest comes up in the show yeah right yeah 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 and i think that like incest jokes right mm-hmm. um are really interesting um just pattern that you can kind of start to map out and it and it's all about kind of vacillating or moving you between these different genre registers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we also know that through the joke about incest, that's the only way that that these four siblings can kind of, even though they're not always um, approving of the jokes, and often it is Roman, yeah. you know, who's mobilizing them, but not always. Um, that's the only way that they have to work out their family trauma. Right. Um, yeah. And so there is something like incredibly fucking tragic about it that can only be articulated comedically. And there's that interesting moment with Logan in, in I think it was the second season. Yeah, it was the second season where it's revealed that his back is covered in in scars. Right. Right. And from right, having right, been right. whipped, we believe, by his father. Right. Um, 
but we don't even really know. But there's this like intergenerational trauma is like everywhere and every scene and every pocket of the of the show. And so then there's this this way that incest jokes um, move between scenes um, to kind of grapple with that or bring it to the surface. I don't know. I was just I was just interested in what you thought about that. And specifically the way that there's their jokes, right? And their thought incest is a joke in the show. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. I mean the per the 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 person around whom the most incest revolves is uh, Roman, right? I, for, yeah, I think. for sure. And so, so he's the one that I think of, and and maybe I'm asking the wrong questions but i'm just obsessed with like where does this dudes where where do these dudes issues come from you know okay yeah yeah so he was beaten by his dad right we know that right frequently brought brought up and he's we don't really know that much about kendall and his sexuality but we do know that he can have sexual relationships yeah He's had a wife with kids. He's done that. Shiv, he enjoys sex. He, he there's that moment yeah. with the the actress from exactly. uh, Willa's play where he talks about they're in one of the psychosexual. Yeah. yeah, and but it's always that you know he he's approaching sex as an addict, right? So he turns yeah. it on and off, yeah. right? Um, yeah, Shiv has a healthy sex drive. Connor. Had, she has like, a sex drive. I don't know. If, <laughs> healthy in, in terms of amount, maybe. I don't okay, know yeah, if yeah, the right. expression right, right. of her sex drive is healthy. She's got sex Vegas. We'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> She's got her yeah. sex Vegas. But yeah, Roman yeah. is totally dysfunctional, right? And he right. becomes obsessed with Jerry, who is his mother's age, right? And mm-hmm. who has been mm-hmm. a kind of aunt-like figure in the family. One of these members of Logan's cadre, right? For right. all of his life or most of mm-hmm. his life, right? And mm-hmm. she is who he becomes just completely infatuated with. And then there's that amazing moment where he's sending her a dick pic, right? But it actually yeah, goes to yeah. to his dad, right? Right. So right. I don't know. He's definitely just like with any of this stuff that we're talking about, he's the one who's like uh, most down to bring these these issues to the surface lay it on mm-hmm. the table etc right with right. the other characters it's a little bit more coded but in the last second to last episode um so that would be the second episode of the fourth season um uh shiv and uh kendall are you know they had this intense meeting with logan um where they basically screw him out of you know, a deal mm-hmm. and they can't stop talking about how it felt to fuck dad. Right. Yeah. Right. And, right. and that's when interestingly Roman doesn't, he's, he's not into the joke. Right. Right. right so there's right, just, right, right. there's great, great moments like that where you see how, how the joke um, moves between moves between the characters and i don't know i think it's a very interesting way in which the show is dealing with its own um political confusion i think i find it very interesting um 
Totally. I can't really extrapolate. I don't have like an analysis to extrapolate from it. The thing mm-hmm. that it makes me think of is the flip side, which is how much they talk about metaphorically killing dad or mm-hmm. killing each other. Mm-hmm. And and that is just like, you know, coming from like stand up, the, there's so much like violent language around like fucking killing if you did well, mm-hmm. bombing if you did poorly, and mm-hmm. I murdered, I, you know, whatever. And, and so the, the killing language feels like it fits very much with the fucking language. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's like a game of marry, fuck, kill, Yeah, but they find themselves emotionally and psychologically incapable of marriage. They only are able to play Mm -mm. fuck, kill. Interesting. Well, why do you think that is? I mean, let's circle back to that. We've talked about it a couple of times now. Like, what's the, what's this, that, the the stuff around marriage is where I find the show to be um, possibly most clear-headed in its thinking about the family form, right? Like, okay, okay. There's still, there's a lot of scenes in this where, um, the character's inability to love each other is because of quote unquote business. Right. But I think in the interactions over, over marriage and these, you know, very eventful weddings, um, that's where we see that, that the business is family and that the family is business and that there's, there's no tearing these things apart. And, and, Possibly that is what is most um, politically important to relate to, right? Is that this isn't exceptional to this family, but in fact, baked into what family means, right? Well, if you think about the institution, Mm -hmm. marriage is a commodification of love. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it makes sense that their way of attempting to be real people, of attempting to, Mm -hmm. you know, inhabit anything like actual communication and and real human life experiences is to inhabit the the business version of that. Mm -hmm. You know? And any like romantic moments on the show are the opposite. I I think about when Tom and Shiv are on the beach in probably in season two. Yeah. And, and Tom is like bringing up that she brought up wanting an open relationship on their wedding night. Otherwise though, they're on the beach the sun is setting. This this could be a romantic moment from here for the to show. eternity. Yeah, B- but instead, it's it is yet another example of an unhappy, dysfunctional married couple. Right, and that's what's interesting about Roman. Yet again, is that you know he is he's not. I mean, 
with the exception of the weird wife in the pilot episode, right? Man, very, I can't believe have to that I really that. missed that yeah. even a second time. Yeah, yeah. I I read I read a few things about about the the decision to change that too. It was kind of interesting, but you know, he has no intention to marry. He often is dateless. He just doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's he's not going to entertain this fantasy right um and he proposes marriage but only when someone like suggests to him that uh what's her name tabitha oh tabitha yeah Yeah. uh i was gonna say old spitz tom's come back in his mouth i Um, know yeah uh well which is but anyway he proposes marriage to her but someone Mm -hmm. suggested it i think his mom or his dad were like was like, oh, she's good for you. You should marry her. And he's like, uh, yeah. okay. And that's the closest I guess I'll he do gets it. to. Yeah. But I also, I don't know how this troubles it, but the Roman Jerry stuff, mm-hmm. which there's only actual two, there's only two actual moments when Roman and Jerry are having a consensual relationship of her saying cruel things and him jacking off to them. Mm -hmm. I I thought it was more. And honestly, I wish it was more like maybe I'm insane, but this was like that stuff to me is the sexiest stuff on the show. (laughs) I I, I found some of those moments. Jerry is hot. She's and so fucking hot. She's so hot, and and the way she she's dominates really. is so is so hot. Mm-hmm. But like, there's plenty of sexual moments in the show, like that that I just didn't find as charged as that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't think pleasure isn't something that any of these characters are able to experience, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and if they do, it's it's through domination. So, well, we never see them have hobbies. No, like l- literally, each other the over. only the only person who has hobbies is Connor, and it's like Napoleonic shit, and it's and it's and yeah. he's the least serious character and he wants to be president and that's also kind of a hobby right yeah 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 absolutely well i wanted to talk about like one of the things that you're bringing up is you know how a large part of how this show's functioning is that most of the characters aren't in on the joke right which is the you know right the motif in the um New Yorker profile also, right? right? But but that's the case with most of the, the characters. I agree, even Roman doesn't... Um, even though Roman is funny, he doesn't know why it's funny. Or yeah, often well, it funny when he doesn't sad. think something's funny. Or <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I think it that. would be pretty sad if anyone thought of their life as a comedy in the sense of being a joke. Like, right, yeah. You know, it'd yeah, be yeah. pretty tough. <laughs> like, that'd be a pretty bleak, yeah. But instance. I think that this is like, the this is the interesting thing about um, 
Greg and Tom. Okay. Yes. yes. They are in some ways the most explicitly like comedic characters of the show. They bring to mind like the grave diggers and Hamlet. Like they're just, they're clownish figures. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in that. And like this idea of like the disgusting brothers and their weird, like (laughs) twinning each other. Um, interesting, like the disgusting brothers, another like familial term, and they're both of these right. like guys peripheral to the family trying to get in. By the fourth season, Nicholas Braun is basic or Greg is basically just straight up copying Tom's outfits, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. really fashioning himself as an as the next Tom. Right. So I think that that's that's like kind of an interesting thing about how they function in the in the overall story right is through these moments of relief and a lot of that relief is giving you space as the viewer to identify the genre (laughs) what genre you're watching right like um i find that you're saying they're the ones who alert us to oh this is a comedy yeah and that that's part of what we like about these characters right is yes yes their ability to do that and to kind of um break apart the self-seriousness of the Mm -hmm. the three siblings especially right right um so i wanted to i wanted to kind of just like ask you your thoughts about about those characters and to bring up like yeah the nicholas braun of it all because i i did at some point want to bring him up in all of this Sure. When it comes to Tom and Greg, I think mm-hmm. it's interesting the especially since the comedy duo is such a like straight man, wild man, crazy man, whatever you call the non-straight man, is such mm-hmm. a defined like archetype in the history of comedy. Like I th- and and that there are so many different ways that relationship can go. They provide us relief by being funny, but the type of comedy and the way in which they're funny is is interesting to me. They are sometimes it's them against the world, uh, and and they're both put upon and they're both beleaguered and they're scurrying about. But initially, you know, Tom and Greg's like first interaction is Tom using Greg as a punching bag, kind of blowing off steam from, you know, tr- trying to punch down af- av- as the guy that everyone punches down at themselves. Yeah. And he also does this kind of, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the concept of the jokester in your book Comedy Against Work, out now on Common Notions Press, is uh, <laughs> that that they're all jokesters in this show. These mm-hmm. the kind of person who said who so often in this show they will say a horrible thing, let it hang, and then almost as if daring the person they're talking to to do something about it or any moment anything in their life to change in that moment. You talked about them Mm -hmm. only being able to joke about their trauma. These moments when they say the trauma and then let it hang, like 
there could be redemption in those moments. But instead, people just don't know how to respond and they go, I'm joking. Uh, you know, I'm kidding around. Like, what was it? Episode one of season four. I mean, those are some of the funniest moments of Logan to me mm-hmm. is when he's like, come on, roast me. <laughs> he's, he's <just> like, <laughs> like, and he literally cool. says, like, I'm not. I'm being funny, you know, and like yeah. <laughs> and in Bore on the Floor, when he tells Tom, he's like, Tom, it's a game. Have fun. It, do it. It's a game. It's fun. It's a game, right? Yeah. And like, and yeah. Tom does that. To, like, one of Tom's first things to Greg in the first season is that kind of like, he's constantly doing the like, mm-hmm. eh, I'm joking. Or mm-hmm. am I? Or oh, I am. But am I? And, mm-hmm. and so I think that that, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. And then it also is interesting that I think the way in which they become brothers, you know, the way that it's them against the world happens later on. I, th- I think they, they mm-hmm. build toward that. Well, dynamic. it's born on the floor, isn't it? Because it's this moment where they're both mm. asked to born on the floor is this quote unquote game right. that Logan Roy is subjecting um, much of many of his employees to, mm-hmm. um, in a kind of, I guess it was inspired by lore of Stalin's dinner parties. Right, right, right. Where right. he'd um, coerce his um, his men to kind of like embarrass and like humiliate themselves basically and therefore like feel more indebted to him, right? Mm-hmm. But there, there's this moment in that episode where... Um, you know, Tom has every Tom is on all fours pretending to be a bore on the floor. Mm-hmm. Greg is down on the floor with him. They're looking at each other and Tom has an opportunity to, um, you know, uh, extend blame towards Tom for the things that they're being grilled on. And he doesn't, he takes it on Tom's behalf. Right. Wait, and there's Greg this takes we- it on Tom's behalf. No, Tom takes it on Greg's behalf. Tom protects Greg. Yes. That yes, scene. Yes. Right. Mm. And I think that that's the moment of, I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a fraternity that's forged mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. four on the floor. Yeah. Right? yeah. But that that happens, but it is interesting, you know, power and jokes circulate together with abuse always in the show and and right and the joke is how abuse hides itself right um or the yeah this kind of camouflage of just joking like that that episode right and it's also it's also the the i i texted you this they are constantly saying they're constantly telling the truth in quotes and lying all the time. They're constantly <laughs> saying some of the meanest things to each other. And there's truth to their mean things like, Oh, you're alone. No one takes you seriously. You're a joke. You know, the, when Logan says that to Connor on the boat, like, yeah, th- there, there's always some truth to those mean things, mm-hmm. but they're never actually being vulnerable. They're never act- mm-hmm. like the point of being truthful with someone is to build actual intimacy, is to build real connection. Mm-hmm. And they are simultaneously, I, I don't know, I, I had a, a manager 
when I worked at Panera in a, as a kid <laughs> who was just like a dick. And she was like, that's just who I am. And you're like, you could change who you are. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. you don't need to be this way. And so they are those kinds of people who conflate, like, honesty always has to be brutal. It's like brutal honesty is the only kind of honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the in the you know in treating each other that way, they never actually have an honest moment of connection with each other. And I thought right. I think that is because they can't. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Fuck or kill. And I think no that's merit. the way that the show asks you to have empathy for them is to see that they're they're actually dysfunctional traumatized um unequipped right sure sure there's something about that that i find difficult and you think you're saying we're we're supposed to empathize that because we all find ourselves unequipped in moments and that life is brutal and hard and even though we don't face the same challenges they face well there's a kind of nihilism that it slips into where it's like well there's no chance in hell the any of these kids could have been good people right mhm mhm and in and I think that that's right, right? But then how do you kind of, like, stay there? Hold what do you mean that, stay there? That, you know, that there, there's no way that they could be good people. Structurally, psychologically. Uh-huh. Like, dramaturgically. Dramaturgically, yes. <laughs> there's no way that that's possible, right? That, that that's an impossibility for each of these characters, right? Um. Instead, what I think, and it is, it is the that the challenge then that you're faced as the viewer is then how to humanize them, how to relate to them, how to forgive them, despite all of that, right. and that's what I think is bad. <laughs> right? Well, I think it's, it brings I think up it's just to be bad versus good. It's like it's good that yeah. it, it reaches this level of complexity where you can be like these are human beings who didn't decide to be evil. Mm-hmm. They literally have to be evil because of, um, you know, structural power and right. how they inhabit power. Right. Um, well, to me, it brings up yeah. forgiveness though. It's like, like yes. do, the, one of the conditions of forgiveness, whether we want to think of forgiveness, having conditions or not is change. Like, mm-hmm. So the the challenge to us as viewers is to be like, what if these characters don't change at all? Are you able to empathize with them and and hold them, you know, for who they are? And I think you're right to say, no, fuck that. Like, like, yeah, I'll I'll forgive these people, if they actually fucking change, just like with people in your life. Like if someone's like mm-hmm. even the smallest thing, like I said, I would get better about doing the dishes. I haven't done a single dish since then. I'm so sorry. Okay. I offer you forgiveness. Great. We're, we're great. 
oh, you're going to still keep doing the exact same thing. What's the fucking point of even having the forgiveness conversation, mm-hmm. you know, up to incredibly damaging, harmful, truly like the kinds of things that like restorative and transformative justice practices are needed for like Mm. all of that requires a commitment to things being different than they've been. And so even in characters, it's interesting to see like, Oh, so the, this is all for me to change. I'm, I'm empathizing Mm -hmm. with these people because we have this like very liberal individualistic thing where at the end of the show I get to go, wow, I can even relate to these people, you know, and maybe that <laughs> changes me, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I think what's interesting about Kendall is that I mean, he changes so much and mm-hmm. um, he's also kind of swinging pendulum, you know, right. with addiction and, and all sorts of things, but um his morality too, or his sense of his own ethical code. Um, and what's interesting is like, basically the best thing that he could do is blow the whole thing up. And that, Mm -hmm. but that would, that would include blowing himself up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but we do see, and I think more of that would be great. Like getting glimpses of like what that would mean. Right. Mm -hmm. And, because I think that the point, it, this is what Shiv's compromise is eventually, and what Roman just never even entertains is that, like, um, yeah, I can become a quote unquote good person in the scenario within myself or like on my own terms, but like, I still won't be a good person because I'm in this, I'm bound up in this thing that's beyond myself as an individual. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is an interesting struggle that, that yeah, each of the siblings kind of captures in a different way. Right. Um, but it's again, it's like, it's like this fucking empire strikes back thing where I'm like the middle of this show is probably going to be, end up being the most interesting politically complex um critically minded part and it it will have to lead to compromise and that's really interesting because that ties back to your Adam McKay stuff where it, we're in like mm, fucking PowerPoint presentation about the evils of capitalism right. uh coming from a fucking commercially produced and distributed movie. But yeah but it makes sense that the beginning and the ending would be the most didactic. Um, and, mm-hmm. and pardon me for being existential, but because beginnings in, and especially endings, we don't know how to do as people at all because we barely experience them. The, the middle yeah. is, uh, is, is life. The middle is us being alive. So it makes yes. sense that that is where the most like resonant truths would lie in for the sure. show. Yeah. yeah, second acts are always the best. But I would say I think that the first season is going to be the legacy of the sh- the 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 seasons will be you know that it begins didactically, uh, pivots into this much more yeah generative complexity, 
Mm-hmm. But I don't think it will end didactically. I think we'll end just like pure as pure reactionism. And I think that this is this is what I'm sensing at this point where I'm feeling so emotionally manipulated by the show and feeling it it really geared towards, you know, oh, they're all humans and now Logan is dead. And maybe even this means some kind of healing or something like yeah. I'm worried for the show. And weirdly, I'm worried for the show's legacy because I see it heading in that direction. And and it and it's not that I would rather have the Adam McKay PowerPoint. It's just that I think it's trying to to wrap a bow on it and it shouldn't. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting because I mean, we should wrap up with talking about endings, right? Like that would be the perfect yeah. way to sort of So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even though we haven't talked about Shiv and her outfits, which oh, okay, we can we'll we'll, we'll put a bit in that. We could talk about Shiv and her outfits for sure. Um, yes. But the in terms of endings, I think de- I mean in one formulation determine genre in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. is it a happy ending? It's a comedy. Is is everyone dead at the end? It's a drama. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think I think. Should we give our predictions of what we think will happen at the end? Because I mm. think that can determine it, – it'll not only be fun and interesting to be wrong and see how we were wrong, but also show how we think of the show genre-wise and how, it, how we think it thinks of itself. I don't know if I can predict. I know what I want to have happen, but I don't know okay. if I'm like in this like kind of predictive mode. I'm thinking more diagnostically and and um anxiously. Okay, about well the th- end. what what do you I think want I think it's happen? already veering towards something that's within 3 episodes. It's just gone taken this hard right into neoliberal identificatory kind of viewership, you know, and I don't, it's I don't always like had that. some of that. Of course. In, but the extent to which it had that it was fucking with it, you know, whereas I think it's just in the deep end now. Well, but I think it's, it, it is, it speaks well of the show that they didn't end with that. I, think, I agree. So it could yeah. be it could be that that this is this kind of important dip, and that then we watch, and that would be interesting. Then we watch the siblings battle it out. We see that you know this actually isn't just Logan's fault, you know, because mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. A, there's a way in which because he's the quote unquote sociopath in the family, then everyone else is therefore a victim. Right. And whatever ways in which they pass on that sociopathy or abuse, right? Like Shiv to Tom, for instance, right? right? There's an expectation or an opportunity for, quote unquote, forgiving that character, right? Because of their victimhood. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, that's a tension that the, that the show is playing with. And maybe because it's not ending that way then we'll get this moment of being like, okay, yes, we're all humans. Shiv made me cry, blah, blah, blah. But also she's a horrible evil bitch too. And like, and is going to end up promoting this fascist president, even though her daddy's dead, 
et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That could mm-hmm. be interesting. Yeah. So is that what I you... I want it to be troubling. Okay. So you don't even have plot-wise specific things you want. You just have like a tonal thing that you want to feel or are afraid will happen. Yeah. I mean, like a part of me just wants Jerry to kill everyone. <laughs> Sure, I'm down with that. Sounds that great. would be like probably the ideal ending. I think here's here's my <laughs> I'm gonna I love a I love a bold prediction. Okay. Um so I'm just gonna make one. Good. There's there's almost no way I'm right, but in the interest of of giving myself the opportunity to embarrass myself, show my ass a little bit, I think it ends with Kendall taking over the company. Oh come on, really? Wouldn't wouldn't that be perfect? In so, I mean, so boring. How would that be? No, there. The, the, just because he takes over doesn't mean that 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 is that there's only one way for that to happen. I but guess so, but it's so the funny. right back where do we? Was that song right back to where we started from? Ex- exactly, though. Oh, no, like like that. The more you don't, why why not? I think that would be a critical thing because the show so much like so many of these plot lines fucking like just e- even with I mean the the Roman marriage thing mm-hmm. is from a like you know filmmaking TV making standpoint understandable since pilots get made separately from seasons a lot of times yeah but, like even in the midst of seasons fucking the way Marcia just like dropped off the face of the earth and like sure it's justified in the show you know dramaturgically the a little <laughs> bit but but it's also not and like and so much happens and then doesn't happen you know fucking kendall like kills a kid and the main thing is that he doesn't do the deal that was gonna stab his dad in the back you know what i mean it's like yeah, yeah. I think it would be fascinating for them to almost be like the whole show was unnecessary because the thing that was quote supposed to happen right at the mm-hmm. beginning finally happens. I think and 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 I think that would be a very comedic way of doing it would be to give this character what he wants and for us not to identify just be like what <laughs> are you serious like oh after all this Kendall gets it like that's fucking yeah okay okay i can see that i i was also just getting like godfatherly vibes you know of that like last scene with pacino and diane keaton like where he becomes his father well yeah there's a scene where you know she's in one room he's in the other and like you can see that he's become the godfather right Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so it's too traditional of a narrative structure for you basically well, I don't know if it's traditional. I just think it would be. Well, I do think this is this is the thing that you're saying. It's like the genre of this show has been so up in the air. It's really about how it lands. Also, why I think planes and boats are very interesting settings for this last <laughs> last yeah. episode, right? Uh-huh. And the the extent to which like landing the deal is you know often sure 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 brought up through throughout the series right so i think i think it will be definitive 
And I guess that I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened because it would be very, very much within that tradition and kind of um, confirm this like self-understanding of, of succession in, you know, the succession of, of things like the Godfather and, and, you know, this kind of prestige um, genealogy or something like that, you know? Um, sure. But I think that, I think it'll be a misdirect. I don't know what it'll be, but I think it'll be a misdirect. Yeah. But I'd okay. like Jerry to kill everybody. <laughs> Let's talk about Shiv's like, outfits. Shiv's outfits. Okay. So it's, there's been a lot of discourse about Shiv's outfits. <laughs> yes. And discourse is one word for it. Yeah. I, Fucking I'm wolf, interested cartoon in, wolf with googly eyes is another way. Yes, yes. No, well, yeah, her butt. Her butt's uh, gorgeous. Great butt. Okay. Great, great, great butt. TV butt. All time great TV butt. Seriously great TV butt. But um, there's a lot of fascination with her outfits that happens starting, yeah, there. Whereas Roman basically wears the same outfit the whole time, or Connor. Where's the same outfit the whole time? Yeah. Shiv and Kendall um, explore their personalities or whatever. Yes. Like their character arc is very much like reflected in their their wardrobe. Um, and I found it interesting, like in the whole, you know, hubbub about um, Jeremy Strong and his acting method and things like that. Then like, we go to Sarah Snook and like all anyone wants to talk about is her ass, her haircut right. yeah. and her mm-hmm. outfits. Yep. So I want to acknowledge that, but I also find it really interesting how her outfits, um, there isn't a uniform for women in business. Right. And that's mm-hmm. part of what I think is kind of illuminated there. Right. It's like, no matter what she wears, she's always kind of an outsider. And so her mm-hmm. outfit is always no- notable, right? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to say that. And I also wanted to address that I fucking love that her outfit in the latest episode, Connor's Wedding, which turns into a funeral. She goes to a wedding dressed in all black. You know, yeah. there's something, um, there's a little nod that the show is doing around her wardrobe that I find fascinating. She has this like last minute um, ponytail, also like very. I mean, she she's she often has like just perfect hair, right? And it's just mm-hmm. this messy. Like I go to the gym looking like that, right? Right. But then right. she has this like beautiful funeral outfit. So I was interested in that, and I think there's some way in which the writing of the show became aware of these things and then is commenting on those things. And I would say it does that with Kendall and the whole myth of um, the myth of Jeremy Strong's method, you know, and his inability to know what is and isn't the joke or being constantly left on and what is funny because he doesn't have a sense of humor. That becomes something that the show knows how to comment on. And then I also say, like, mm. the Nicholas Braun of it all 
his becoming a disgusting brother is very interesting because by the time of the fourth season, um, many of us have become aware, whether because we know somebody in New York City or because we've read it on Reddit or Twitter mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like this, but he is a disgusting brother. Right. Um, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly, but like just preparing for this episode, yeah. you know, yeah. I read a number of firsthand accounts on the internet, people saying that totally he acted inappropriately. He has some kind of penchant for, you know, he seems like a creep, just quite 18 year old women and things like that. Right. He's a creeper, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's an interesting way in which the show is. Commenting, commenting on, on that or something personas. like that well right, right because there's that moment when when it's greg's job to pull carrie in to talk about yeah her tape her terrible uh audition tape to be an anchor on atn yeah and he's like he's like can i can i grab you just for a second and she and mm-hmm. carrie's like yeah i mean you've grabbed every other woman in manhattan so you might mm-hmm. as well and you're like yo i feel like the the writers maybe know about this dude and they're mm-hmm. including subtle digs at him in which case like good on them i mean like the character's really funny he's he's he performs well as the character it was you know yeah. i don't give a fuck about a celebrity but i it, because i enjoy his performance i was bummed to hear that he's a creep but uh but yeah but good on them for like well, it's it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that the producers are able to completely change the whole show around. Drop this guy at every, you know, drop every actor at mention of them being a creep, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, so might as well get some digs in. I yeah. Right. I think I think stuff like that, stuff around Kendall and like, you know, this kind of hyper awareness of how Shiv's outfits and hair is being disproportionately picked apart and things like that. These are all ways in which the show is, is, is pretty interesting in, in these like, yeah, these meta opportunities that it takes. Right. And I, I would say that, do you think it's doing the Shiv stuff very critically? I feel like it's playing into like, I I feel like it's so. if we're talking about male gaze stuff, it, it, they really you think just it's playing into it feed, with Shiv. I think they kind of feed into it. It's kind of just like, oh yeah, want, you want some more Shiv bent over on a counter? But, Here you go. You know. Yeah, maybe you're right, but I guess maybe this is one point where I'm being a little bit more generous with the show, um, and I've been like a, a brutal killjoy through the episode, but um, I think. If there's a if there's a really excellent quality to the show, it's it's that it's that it it opens up these opportunities to to go meta and to think about what it's doing with itself, even if it doesn't know quite what that is, right? And like the just the just the fact of giving giving us that breathing room as viewers, I think um I don't yeah, I don't want to quote unquote forgive the show for its problems coming back to some of the stuff we talked about but i think um i think that's where 
as opposed to the very didactic beginning, you know, it, it gets into more interesting territory as it goes on. Um, and that is always kind of in a struggle against this other mode, which I think is much more dominant, which is asking us to um, implicitly forgive each of these characters because they're so gosh darn charismatic or fascinating or traumatized or just like the rest human beings and and by that we mean that they're victims just like us right Right. like that it's always through this like victimization that we get at that humanization um i think all of that is is pretty deeply troubling but these moments where without commenting on itself it's giving you the go go ahead to do that for yourself. Right. I think that that's, um, that's a, yeah, it's an important element. And I think that that's part of what I find interesting. And as opposed to something where I'm like an, any Adam McKay movie where I really understand from the beginning, not just what a movie is, but what it thinks it is. Um, this is kind of letting us in on its own confusion about itself and, and, and letting that breathe. I don't know. I think, I think that that's probably the best a show like this could do instead yeah. of telling us how to think about evil people. Right. <laughs> right. Because we already know. And, and that's right. the, that's the thing that I, why I will take, succession over the menu infinite times infinity out of infinity fucking times because there's room for interpretation there there's Mm -hmm. confusion you know there's uh and 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 including the fact that there's shit that's detestable about it Mm -hmm. um is just is just so much more interesting plus Mm -hmm. It's not that the menu didn't have good actors, but the fucking acting on Succession on a pure pleasure level for me, it's just it, it's just a joy to it's watch really good. these people. And I will say in terms of I I shat on the the 27 minute scene because I think a lot of the like um technical technical impressiveness for its own sake is like who cares if it's one shot? I, I want a good story. You know what I mean? Like, does the one shot make it a better story about so many movies? Yes. But I will say from a pure acting perspective, the couple of Tom and Shiv, the fact that Tom is an Englishman and Shiv is Australian. Those are two of the best fucking American accents. Oh, in yeah. a couple that is not American. I mean, hats off to them for those accents oh hell yeah and i guess that's the other thing that i was really feeling about um the last episode despite my yeah my uh disdain for for all that it was kind of asking me to do as its viewer mm-hmm. was just yeah this is not just a brian cox or a jeremy strong show and Mm-mm. and if anyone stole it i don't nobody peacocked there's no way to do it but like if anyone stole it it was sarah snook like Mm. when she enters the room 
and everything is just piled. All the information is just piled on her and she can't, she can't even like take the phone. Right. And you, you, you see her like pivot so quickly from just being kind of annoyed in the, in the wedding and having to be being asked by her brothers to do this bullshit on their behalf, you know, to just welling up in tears. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And I, I did appreciate it again at that meta level of like, not letting us just end the show with this idea that, Oh, this is the Jeremy strong and Brian Cox show, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, if anything, it was really amplifying the, the ensemble quality of of it and um yeah i'm i'm constantly impressed by the quote-unquote supporting actors on the show jay smith cameron too she doesn't get enough credit but she's she's fucking subtle as as jerry yeah you never know what she's doing with roman you never know yeah she's incredible man she's so good she's incredible and she just lets you be in that kind of gray area and stay there, right? And that's what I wish the show would do more of, is just stay with the trouble, stay with the discomfort mm-hmm. that it raises, and not and, attempt to fix it, you know? And her outfit, absolutely. And her outfit oh. this episode was great. Maybe with we're, maybe we're in the era of Jerry's butt, dude. Maybe we're entering dude, Jerry's I, I outfit would, era. I want more of Jerry's butt. I want more of her, like, side hat action. Hell yeah. And just the way she like purses her lips. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Like she just really, um, the physicality of her performance is amazing because she doesn't have very much to say ever. Right. And so it's that kind of economy that, um, yeah, it's impressive. We're getting into the point where we really need to start talking about the genre reveal. raised all sorts of questions about what the fuck this show is what it's what what it's trying to be what it actually is what it maybe is like grasping at mm-hmm. so yeah what do you think what- so here so what we're doing is we are sort of on some level inventing genres or, or trying to create right. bespoke th- this is the service we provide is is creating bespoke genre names for each uh tv or movie we're covering you you want me to go first or you want to go first well what do you want well you've told me what yours is so i want to surprise you with mine after so you go first okay okay so i have two oh okay. but yeah but they're, they're variations on each other is at its worst the show is a clusterfuck okay that's what its genre is yes it's a bunch of different um genres competing against each other just in the ways that the characters do and and to this point of like total ambiguity and political confusion at its best i would say it's a meta clusterfuck okay okay okay. it's a clusterfuck and fucking proud of it like in the in a la roman where it's a clusterfuck and it's it's asking you to think about its clusterfuckedness and to historicize it and to 
to unpack that politically. And so we'll see where I think it it lands in the end, but I think at at its best, it could be that. Well, at this point, could it unclusterfuck itself? No, it has to go meta. It can't. Un- it can't unclusterfuck itself. And in fact, if it tried to do that, it would be more of a clusterfuck. Yeah, right, right, right. The best it can do is go meta, and I think that would be great. And it 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 already has lots of moments where it's done that. As I think I've said quite a few times, I I think that those are the the most. Uh, politically kind of potent moments of the show. Sure. You want to hear mine? I want to hear yours. Okay. I for, for a lot of similar reasons, the genre I've settled on is American satire accordion. Accordion? What does that mean? Because it's, uh, y- you know, American because the capitalism of it all, the, the machismo... The even mm-hmm. even the method acting on the meta level, um, yeah, yeah, and then the satire accordion thing is kind of the the thing I was talking about, where the show, even when it is perfectly satirizing the rich, when it is subtle and and uh, insightful and beautiful, that nonetheless there are moments where it pops back out, and I'm aware that this is a bunch of you know i mean i guess it's not hard i guess it's a lot of british maybe it's oxford guys or cambridge guys fucking smarty Mm. pants white people impressing each other with the ways they can say fuck like Mm -hmm. that even even then there is there are moments where it is so self-satisfied that Mm -hmm. uh that that becomes part of the genre to me Hmm. Yeah. So, my goal is to is to not have any. I I don't plan to to name anything. I don't plan to include thriller, horror, comedy, drama in, in my j- genre titles. I mean, we might be going all all concrete objects. Next next one might be chair. Oh wow, accordion. No, I like that. That's that's. That's that's a good goal in terms of of um, the genre reveal. So, what do you think? Do, how, how do you? How does that? How does American satire accordion sit with you? I mean, I'm fine with it. It's not what I think, but I like it. <laughs> I'm I'm. It's it is what you think, but your your the clusterfuck is a is a stew. And I'm just saying that there are layers that are more distinct. That sometimes it's a very small accordion, and it seems it's a to be lasagna a very pointed. Yeah, exactly, a stew versus a lasagna. So it's a an American satire lasagna. Sure, sure. If if we need to, no. But what's there. the difference between an accordion and a lasagna? Because what I like about the accordion versus the lasagna is like how you know things aren't quite layered. Well, right. The lasagna doesn't shrink down or expand at all. The accordion does. Yeah. It shrinks down when I eat it, and then that expands me, is what happens with the lasagna. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I expand with the lasagna. And I did during my Sopranos rewatch. I made a lot of lasagnas last year 
Well, and is the show nourishing? Like, you know, does it does it nourish? Does it? No, Su- Succession doesn't nourish. No, it that's doesn't. why it's an accordion because it kind of gives you a headache. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard to binge. This show was so fucking hard to binge, dude. I was on edge the whole time. Yeah, it's intense. It withers you. Well, what should we do? Do you do we want to promote anything here at the end of the show? I think we can say that when you know uh, this this first season uh, of our show will overlap with the end of the fourth season of Succession. So we will do a little check back in. We will. We'll check back in in a few weeks and we'll talk more about this. And yeah, I, I, at this point, you know, we have things to promote personally, but I'm just excited about uh, endeavoring upon this podcast with you, my friend. Yeah. This will be an interesting series of films and TV series that we discuss. And... um Lots of genre questions and political problems to bring up along the way. Totally. Should we, you know, let people know what the next episode yeah. will be? Because you're gonna be the you're gonna be the host next time. I am. I'm presenting and I will not talk as much, you know, no. as I did this this time probably. So so that's a reason to tune in if you hated Madeline this time. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're doing A Serious Man. We're doing the Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man, next episode. I'm very excited to revisit this movie. It'll be the first time you've seen it, right? It will be. It's weird. It's like so many Coen Brothers movies I've seen, you know, many times, but it came out during um, a moment when I wasn't going to the movies, Mm. like peak grad school and newborn baby period. So I'm, I'm excited to fill in the gap. In other words, yeah, so. absolutely. Well, um, yeah, it, it, people can check show notes if they want to follow us or, or you know any of the stuff that we won't bother promoting now. But thank you so much. I'm fucking stoked for this too. This has been genre reveal party, and tune in next week. 